So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day, hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. Mm. Oh, hey, Michael. Oh, hey, welcome back to Drink in the Movies. Here from the eye of the storm, the heart of the corona, without the lime. That's right. It's been two weeks since we last met, and that feels like a long time ago. Yes, there's been some events, events since then. Um, the XFL Dragons have since suspended their uh, season, so my uh, season tickets are less saddened, pre- you know, currently. How, uh, how have you been? I've been good. This is when I'm glad that our hobby is watching movies and not uh, something that involves more socializing. Yeah, because it's really safe for me to go to the theater, go see The Way Back in like a 200 seat plus theater and be the only person in that screening room. Um, it's very safe for movie watchers currently. No one can see you weep as you watch Ben Affleck, right? Uh, there was very little weeping. <sighs> not to insult the Ben. Uh, anyways, we're drinking a delicious beer today. What's it called? We're drinking an ECS Twin Star Lager from Hellbent Brewing Company, as always, and it is delicious. It really just makes everything feel better. It's hard to believe that people are drinking Corona around us without lime while we got this delicious light beer. I can't even look at a Corona right now. <laughs> but you can drink it. Correct. All right, we have some first impressions we're going to get to. Uh, we have Last and First Men, or First and Last Men. I don't remember the order, but that is the Johan Johansson um, directorial debut and posthumous release. And then we have Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Let's start with Never Rarely. Let's take a peek. Don't you ever just wish you were a dude? All the time. This is the most magical sound you will ever hear. Down beneath the ashes and stone. She's not ready to be a mom. Where else could you go? Nowhere in Pennsylvania. I think you should try another place. You going to New York? What are you doing there? seeing family and stuff all right that was the trailer for never rarely sometimes always from eliza hitman what do you think how does it look it looks very interesting it definitely doesn't look like what i thought it might be which is not something as sad or melancholy or depressing as that was but it all mm. looks really interesting um nice character piece follows one single character as she processes and makes this choice for herself to figure out what to do with her life. I'm very interested. I just did not know that that was the content. So I'm kind of caught a little bit off guard, but I really liked what I saw um, from the formalism and from the first time performer. How about you? 
I think I'm right there with you. I'm very struck by this young actress. I think she immediately has my attention, even from just a very short uh, trailer. Um, she looks promising. Um, uh, I've liked Eliza Hittman's films before. Actually, it was kind of mixed on her first one, but liked her previous feature pretty well. Um, I still haven't caught Beatrats. Beatrats, I thought, was a good film. Um, this looks uh, like it's uh, in a similar vein, kind of a look at kids and sexuality and having to make difficult choices and, and difficult decisions. Um, and it's nicely intimate and empathetic. And uh, I, I think it looks promising. Yeah. Another one of those human films that she seems prone towards making. Yeah. All right. On to last and first men. Listen patiently. We who are the last men earnestly desire to communicate with you. Astronomers have made a startling discovery, which assigns a speedy end to humankind. We can help you, and we need your help all right michael that was last and first men one of the longest trailers we've ever sat through that is not correct this was quite brief i don't know if this was officially called a teaser teaser trailer or not um but we don't get a lot here in terms of narrative or ideas but uh i think this will be very thick with atmosphere to say the least um I, I mean, I've always liked Johan Johansson's scores. Who doesn't? Um, I think in order to give this uh, as good of a chance as I can, I might need to get it out of my head that this could feel like a feature-length music video. Um, and maybe, I don't know, just curious to know what kind of uh, uh, theme or narrative he might bring to this um, since it's his first time doing it. What about you? What are your thoughts? I was ready to proclaim it my favorite film of the year just off that teaser trailer. And Whoa. I'm not even kidding. It's, um, I mean, the, the framing of that single image and then using a voiceover of Tilda. It's a great motif. It's a classical motif of the end of the world using stone monuments to observe the measurement of space time for our ancestors. I'm totally on. It felt like I was watching a Jonathan Glazer ripoff in the most pleasurable way i could say those sentences like i'm all on board you say full-length music video and i say i am easy to find like okay yes please yeah 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 but that was you know half the length i think right yes. yeah so i mean i think i could still i think i'll still probably and go you for cared it for uh anima i believe like 10 minutes or something right oh yeah, is yeah. it is it that short but oh, yeah, okay yeah. so when you say music video there are some that you like for sure yeah yeah genre. but I, I almost like put them in a like i kind of think of them in a different kind of mm. category yeah which is totally fine i think i, mean, I think i'll go for this more like la jete kind of like mm. a like a sci-fi alternative expression of art that is visual but also atmospherically sound mm. um so to me it seems like it's kind of doing what la jete did yeah yeah it might be the uh Panos Cosmatos vibe of 
relentless doom that I don't always completely love that I can enjoy, but is not always like my favorite kind of thing. Um, but uh, still, I think it's, I'm still psyched. Yeah, I, I think you might have misspoke. You said Panos Cosmatos, and then you accidentally said not before you said my thing. Oh. Yeah, sorry. You forgot confusion the, there. the word thing there. My mistake. Um, no, I, I get it. I, mm. I think this is definitely going to have its audience just like Waves did, and it's going to have not its audience, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how many people hate it and how many people love it just like with Waves. We will see. On to The Invisible Man. What happened to him? Adrian's dead. Listen, you're getting your freedom back, okay? He said that wherever I went, he would find me. Walk right up to me, and I wouldn't be able to see him. Adrian is dead. He's not dead. He has figured out a way to be invisible. To the Invisible Man. Directed by Lee Wanell, starring Elizabeth Moss. I think you mentioned before the show that it's now been three weeks since you saw this title, but you still wanted to talk about it. Usually, we let something go once it's been one to two weeks, but I take it that means you liked that much. I like you it a lot. Wanted to talk. Yeah, it's number five on my list for the year so far but it's a really strong five it reminds me of destroyer last year where it's just a film that i keep thinking about the performance of and the quality of the filmmaking i thought this would be a dog shit movie so i have to eat crow publicly for it too because like the trailer i thought was just terrible and it, it was going to be an awful movie but it's the opposite it, once i was in that dolby theater and the sound was working i was I felt like I was the third person version of Elizabeth Moss and I just wanted it all to stop and I was carried along. It was one of the better um, psychological fuck with me films that I've seen since Unsane, which is one of my favorite films of the decade last year. Um, Not top 10, but one of, you know, my top 40 probably. Uh, Just a a fantastic film. And I wrote off Lee Winnell, who's the writer of Saw, who mm. directed a film called Upgrade that I did not care for um, as someone that I'm probably never going to enjoy, who's going to make movies for Bloomhouse that I'm never going to like. But he pulled a Jordan Peele for me and just made a movie that I'm completely flabbergasted and in love with. Mm. What do you think about this movie? I had a lot of fun with it as well. I don't know that I would go so far as to the word flabbergasted to describe my own response, but I had a great time with it, no doubt. Uh, this is one of those instances where I feel like an artist is disadvantaged by our, by our tendency to talk in years and decades. Otherwise, we would be talking about Elizabeth Moss as delivering a one-two punch with this and her smell. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even though she and is, and us as well, in a supporting role, um, I think uh, she is obviously far more sympathetic of a character here um, but I did think a lot about her performance in her smell just because of the kind of intensity of it, just the kind of ferocity she has, even though she's a victim here and there, she's the one wreaking havoc. Mm-hmm. Um, it does just feel like she is um, outwardly expressive in a way that a lot of other actresses today maybe aren't inclined to 
to be in in in, a, in that way. Um, so yeah, I thought she was a blast to watch. Yeah, I think that's a good point. She's different. I think Anne Hathaway is also very expressive, but on a totally different tone. And her projects mm-hmm. haven't allowed us to see that. Whereas Elizabeth Moss mm-hmm. is literally getting to act opposite of nothing and create something there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a guy in a in a green screen suit for her to interact with. There's no one there unless there's something being pinned down by a green screen person in the scene. Um, so she's doing that performance. And I, I will caveat my flabbergast with I thought this would be terrible. So when it was the opposite of terrible, it wasn't like watching a Terrence Malick film in Dolby or IMAX for the first time. Understood. Or Dunkirk for the third time on 70mm. It was like watching something you thought would be as bad as Fantasy Island and then having it be as good as this was. Yeah, makes sense. Expectations matter. Yes, they do. Especially in the case of movies that I thought I had completely written off and then just chose to go see on a whim. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know we've talked about it on the podcast before, but that classic Hitchcockian distinction between uh, surprise and suspense, I think this really balances the two very nicely. There are plenty of opportunities in this movie um, or plenty of moments where the anticipation is very nicely drawn out. And I just had a blast waiting that for those moments too. Oh, in great. The parking lot? Fucking so suspenseful. Great the stuff. attic? Ugh. It's very nice stuff. Uh, and yeah, it just makes for a, a, a very good time. And I, I would not trade Moss for anybody out of the top of my head. I think she really carries it for me. Um, no, I can't imagine anyone doing the same job in this type of role. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't seen the original The Invisible Man. Have you? I think I saw it when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I watched a lot of movies that I don't log on Letterboxd because I don't feel like I actually watched them. Um, You know, like the original Dracula or Nosferatu and the original Mm -hmm. Frankenstein and um, Frankenstein's Bride and all that stuff. I think that I I went through the Universal stuff um, from the 30s because that was available at the public library on VHS. So I just pounded through those, but I don't retain them um the only one that i do retain is like the house on the haunted hill which i rewatched mm. as much as i rewatched the three stooges like yeah every weekend <laughs> yeah 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 i would have liked to have caught up with the original beforehand just to see um you know any any ways in which it is just uh purposefully referencing it i don't i don't know about the extent to which it does uh, but i'd be curious um but yeah i don't know it's just an anxious ride like not just the you know a literal attack she's under but also just kind of that anxiety of her slowly being alienated from all these other characters that are initially there for her i think there is characters that are really good performances i don't remember the dad's name but he was awesome i i was very surprised by his turn as a supporting actor i previously absolutely did not have anything nice to say about storm reed's performance in a wrinkle in time this time around, total 180 for me. I, I completely like it. Or to, to quote you previously, more than a 180. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Back to where we started. <laughs> um, one thing that I found interesting with this is that they did have to do a lot of sound in post because they used an automated um, camera rig that worked on a timer. So the choreography mm. for a lot of those action sequences 
the camera is calling out one, two, three, one, two, three, and it's pivoting and turning um, for those action scenes. So then they have to go back in and post and do all the sound work, uh, which helped explain to me like some of those crazy kitchen action scenes. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, storytelling wise, I very much appreciated a minimum of exposition. I've Really thought we were going to get more of that. The second we saw all this technology in the basement of the house, I thought, well, I just cannot wait for the conversation where this will all kind of be explained. But we really just kind of know what we need to know. Mm-hmm. He's figured out how to be invisible, and that's a problem. Yep. And we're moving right along. Um, I think that that keeps it pretty swift. Um, I really liked how the lawyer was handled. I was pretty on the fence about whether or not he was going to be a villain or not. Did you have the same experience or no? I wasn't that heady. I was so much on my heels watching that movie that I didn't know if I could trust him saying a single word, let alone the fact that he claims to be the brother. Like, I just had zero trust for anyone besides Elizabeth Moss. And even then, I was like, am I going crazy? Are we Claire Foy actually in the mirrors showing Elizabeth Moss? Like, I... I didn't know where reality started in this one. Um, so I I didn't have too many assumptions other than lots of confusion and dislike for him. I would agree. I disliked him as well. We can agree there. Um, I would say one of the few gripes I have is probably about the ending where so much of this, um, so much of the fun has been <laughs> about... Um, the invisibility obviously and i don't know I, I i did feel like this went a little bit slack during this what is meant to be this charge final encounter at the dinner table between them um i don't know i think it loses something when we finally see him uh sit down across from her um and they're just it just maybe lacks some kind of iconography there like this doesn't really have the um the uh big image that i would like a climax for this kind of movie to have so i was maybe a little underwhelmed by how this wrapped things up what about you yeah i didn't feel that way at all um i do in a lot of other movies just not here um for me having them return to the place where it started with the knowledge that two people are recording both the man sitting across from her with the cameras and the mics and then the mic that she has um with the detective outside that everything's being recorded and she's you know being gaslit in front of us on recording told that she's a liar told that she's wrong told that everything's wrong and then she goes back into the bathroom gets out the suit and goes and makes him cut his own throat that and it's recorded him cutting his own throat. That's the ultimate for me. I still don't know if I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. I, the way that they present that movie is that you think it's the brother mm-hmm. at some level. And they never let you think that it's Adrian completely. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a very interesting tone to take. I personally think that it was Adrian, but mm-hmm. You know, it's it's an interesting tone to take where maybe she was in the wrong. I've, I've heard a lot of people wonder at her 
you know, doing that if he was actually the guy doing it or the brother was. Yeah. How did you take that undo? Uh, I, I was, I'm with you. I, I was under the, the, I was under the impression it was Adrian as well. Um, yeah, I just think there are far more thrilling moments here than, than the ending itself. And I don't think it, I don't think it really knows how to make him as intimidating, um, of a force once it just comes right out and sits him down across him. I think it's, I think she is, I think he is supposed to be in that scene. I think she is still quite frightened. Um, Especially because it's a climax. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that the undertones of, like, the gaslighting and the emotional abuse on top of the physical abuse, I, there's just the, that intangible quality there where, you know, he's acting like a pitiable coward at the table. Mm. But what he's saying isn't what he means because he's on the camera. So, mm. for me, the, it's like the performance element of he's he's masking everything to mm. try to make her continue to be insane. Mm, yeah um yeah i just i i wish that ending had something more like the restaurant scene or the attic scene that had um startled me in quite this the same way i think this delivered the satisfaction that we fully expected it to oh i was a little bit startled by the (laughs) knife lifting and the the slice i didn't know what she would Mm. do with the um with the suit with the reversal of what happened to her sister just you know, I, I liked it. Yeah. Um, attic scene's great. Hospital scene's great. A lot of good stuff here. Yeah, yeah. All of it's great. I really like the opening scene where she runs away, the way that they use suspense there, um, with a little bit of jolts when she kicks the food bowl or when the dog um, makes the sound. You know, there's a little bit of a on the nose foreshadow there when we see her the first time she makes a noise she kicks a bowl that says zeus mm-hmm. uh, meanwhile there's lightning and thunder boon in the background like okay so noise mm-hmm. is associated with zeus which is the dog so it kind of gave that part away but it also didn't give it away cleanly i i liked a lot of the storytelling elements that lee had here for an original adapted screenplay um from one guy i thought it was pretty sharp yeah i would agree yeah i think Maybe what I was um, looking for has to do with just knowing that this is related to the classic universal monster universe where we have these iconic images, these iconic villains um, that even the Invisible Man, having not seen it, like I have images that come to mind of, you know, the the clothing that guy's wearing with the goggles and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I, I think I was probably just waiting for this to have its kind of iconic image, which is just like the ironic um, flip side of having your villain be invisible in, invisible for the whole movie. Yeah. Um, and the fact that this is less concerned with the villain than the victim. Um, so maybe that just had to do with my own expectations. I just think that's sometimes what, you know, makes um, horror movies last as long as they do are those images that are really seared in your memory and i think in this case maybe it just has more to do with sequences than images um, yeah yeah I, instead of a single image i think of the kitchen sequence as mm. one of the best sequences i've seen in cinema all year so mm. very fun on to the next one on to the next one the promise from the darden brothers <laughs> Hey, pile la même que moi. Merci, papa. Je m'appelle Roger. 
This is the first of three movies from the Darden brothers that we'll be covering today. The Promise from 1996. Moving chronologically. Mm-hmm. I'll just come right out and say I very much enjoyed all three of the films we will be covering today. Where do you stand? I'm a two out of three with the third one being a lukewarm reception with an overall three and a half. So it's still a pretty high grade mm. for a movie that I didn't totally love. And that's The um, the Child. Um, and that's more just like some problems that I ended up having with the formalism. I got really tired of the handheld camera work by then. Mm. Um, it just felt like they were doing the same thing over and over and over. And that was the last one that I watched. Um, whereas mm. The Promise felt fresh and inventive. And then The Kid with the Bike felt expert. Hmm. The, so that was the uh, order in which you watched them? I watched The Kid with the Bike first. Ah, and that's okay. my favorite one. I gave that a very high score. I don't remember if it was four and a half or five. I could go either way right now. Um, I really, really, really love that movie. That's one of my favorite um, Palm Door uh, winners that I've ever seen. Um, other than, um, gosh, the Lace Du film. Blue is the warmest color? Yeah. Yeah, the, the, it's up there for me. It, it's really high regards. I really love the performance of the child actor there. The handheld work is slow and steady and smooth. And things like um, a, a gravel road in between trees end up having this immaculate heavenly quality that I associate with Sean Baker's handheld camera work. Mm. Um, whereas in The Child, a lot of that stuff devolved into me feeling kind of the opposite which might be the mm. point so it might have just been a guttural reaction of negativity but mm. that's yeah. where i ended up but the yeah. promise is a promising film that i really 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 liked and it starts the arc of um gosh what's his name the uh the boy who's in all their films jeremy renier yeah the belgian actor yeah that is correct little igor here mm-hmm. in The Promise. Uh, this is primarily about his relationship with his father as they own or operate this kind of illicit uh, operation in which they uh, smuggle immigrants into their community and uh, put them up in housing uh, uh, for rent, give them papers. Um, while Igor also does kid stuff, he works at an auto shop. He, uh, he's working on a go-kart with friends. Um, but... Um, uh, um, the plot kicks into gear when one of their residents um, uh, has an accident and it puts uh, Igor in a position where he has to make some difficult choices, choosing between um, his father and uh, another uh, woman who he thinks he needs to care for. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, to me, I I would just kind of break this film down into kind of a a single note. It's all the problems that get in the way of Igor not being able to fix the go-kart. That's Mm. essentially what the movie was about to me. I don't know about you. Uh, I think that there was some death and like a child almost dying and Mm. the mother of the child getting sick and him making a promise to the dying man that she was married to and all that. But really, the go-kart needs to get fixed. That's what the movie's about. He promised his friends, right? I'm yes. sure that and there's a I race mean, coming up or something. Look at that cover on, on your mm-hmm. computer right now of the promise. He has to ride around on that motorcycle without a helmet. 
just because it's going to make everybody feel better. Mm-hmm. No. Um, I responded to this movie pretty strongly. I really liked the immigrant experience shown from the bottom up where it's the people that are helping the immigrants come into France, but also abusing them to generate wealth um, and a kid kind of being entrapped in the system where he's he's out of school because he has this apprenticeship. So he has the papers to say that he's out of school, but he's not really doing the apprenticeship unless he's done doing all the work that his dad needs him to do. But the film introduces us to his dad, telling him to no longer call him dad, call him Roger. Um, so it's it's about a kid trying to be an adult when he still has a lot of growing up to do. And then he's um, he makes a promise to a dying man um, in good faith to take care of him and has to um, basically separate himself from his father to do so. Which is something that the Dardennes seem to continue to focus on is separating yourself from your father yeah family is a very consistent theme across these three um you mentioned sean baker for the uh stylistic similarities particularly in the kid with the bike and i think that uh felt true to me across you know all three of these just in terms of their kind of shared interest in people on uh, the margins of society experiencing economic hardship. Mm-hmm. Um, but specifically this one, just thinking about the Florida project and that being about um, a mother and a young daughter um, and this key, uh, honing it on the relationship between a father and a son. Um, and uh, I particularly thought of the Florida project in the scene where they're at the karaoke bar and they're singing together. Cause it's the one scene where I think like that, most underscores the extent to which they just feel like friends in a way, or at least that the father particularly wants to be friends or almost more like brothers. Which yeah. I think is a really similar. Because he tries similar... to get his, his son laid previous yeah. to them walking in the bar, right? Yeah. And just he like says, you said, I think it's about time we, we get you laid is basically yeah. what he says. And just like you said, he doesn't want to be called dad. He wants to be called Roger. Um, Roger. Roger. Yes. That sounds much nicer. <laughs> um, and yeah, it just makes it all that more difficult then for, you know, a kid to to have to turn his back on that kind of relationship when it is really close. I think that one scene is one that's really kind of um, pl- not related to plot. Mm-hmm. Or I think they're really into plot, um, but I think that that was key as well as this um, bit with the ring that um, Roger Roger gives to Igor. Um and it's a ring that his dad already has, so they have the same kind of ring. And um, the scene that stood out to me is right after um, the accident happens. His dad is, I think, washing off the ring for him in the sink. Both right? their rings. Yeah, and just the idea that this is there's now this kind of um, stain on their relationship um, because of Igor's, you know. And then do you remember how he removes it this. from himself? Uh, I don't think so. He gets it cut off of him for when oh, he at sells the end. it. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that that was a very interesting build where it's given and then the covering up the the death creates the crime. There's literally mm-hmm. no crime in the death itself. There's a crime in him working and the circumstances of the death, but the death was an accident. Mm-hmm. So there's no crime. They could have gone and reported it, all that stuff. As soon as they cover it up, there's the crime that stains it and then he has to get it cut off of him mm-hmm. and and then he has to lock his father up and leave him yeah attached yeah. to a metal chain 
Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I assume that his father was fearful that if they did bring this man to the hospital, it would put their operation at risk. Yes, but... That's still not a good enough reason to kill oh, someone. Oh, sure. It's, it's, yeah, not, not, not the excuse. And that's part of what I like about this and some of the other ones is that I, I feel like they're never excusing any of these bad decisions. They're just kind of interested in the, in the motivators and the consequences. Yeah, the um, continuation of the fact that they happen. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's partly about um, how realism kind of allows us to judge these things for ourselves you know there aren't the kind of flourishes that suggest a viewpoint um we can maybe there, there maybe are instances in other ones but um i think they are um pretty interested in in just portraying things as they are um and letting you decide for yourself as you watch um which is uh something i very much enjoy about it yeah, I think the viewpoint that I gravitated towards whenever it was present was the um, widow and the mother. Because um, mm. she's just the easiest person to be sympathetic toward. Um, you know, she gave up her ring, which is kind of the first thread we're introduced to. And then the commingling of the the theme of him maturing and getting the ring cut off of him also being equal to paying the debt she paid to arrive there falsely to his father. So mm. there's that double payoff there. There's a lot of narrative um, threads that they that you rightly point out that they're constantly working and the way that they pay off in this one is just so strong, um, right? He's trying to restore the, the symbol of her homeland and of some version of her faith when mm. his father comes in, um, and, and accosts him. Um, there, there's just, there's so much there. Yeah. Um, and so much of this, again, uh, same is true of the other ones, that could be very didactic um, in terms of these being moral lessons. And I think they are all very much interested in morality, but I never feel like they are prescriptive or instructive, um, which would also be like a, just a nail in the coffin, right? Like these could go so sideways. Yeah, they're the so hands. close to melodrama. <laughs> But they mm-hmm. never get there. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the scene with the um, ring or his dad being chained up in the garage, you know, even these kind of big moments, they still play them the same way they play any other scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that just it really um, keeps it from becoming too heavy handed to just be very, very easy to do um, with with less uh, with with directors who weren't quite this sharp. But they are. Do you have a favorite scene in this film? Uh, I really like the way we're just brought into the world. Like, as we first see them uh, Mm. smuggling immigrants into the community, we get that wide shot of them driving in front of a car that has a bunch of what you think are just, you know, empty cars up on a... Uh, like semi truck and then we get to the building and we see people coming out we see that's okay that's how they get them into this building um Igor's going around collecting rent we get a sense for the kinds of people there um it's just a really natural organic immersive kind of way of um introducing us to this world um i thought that was nice what about you um mine is when the widow accosts um are the main boy igor um mm-hmm while she's trying to flag down a car to take her baby to the hospital because he's sick and all the cars 
are either ignoring her or pulling over and then pulling away right when she arrives to the passenger door um, and she tells him to screw off to go away. He doesn't. He he walks away a little bit and then pauses and stands under the cover of a bus station. Um, and it's kind of this single shot where she's down on her knees, just like she's stuck with this person that she doesn't want to accept the help of, but he's the only one who's there to give the help. Um, the the thematics around the scene and, and the build up to that, and then knowing the title of the film just make that single image when she's on her knees and he's standing there my favorite shot because that single image shows the promise that he made and his his ethic and morality um at work showing that he is a a kid who isn't a bad kid he's done a lot of bad things but he's honoring this promise um and that single image just really cements it for me and the the night lighting there it just it all worked so beautifully it's good stuff uh, on to the child. On to the child. Diving back into the Dardens. I think the main character here is probably the hardest to sympathize with of any of our protagonists across these three Darden movies. Is that fair to say? Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I agree only because he has the most screen time here. If he had more screen time in The Kid with the Bike. Also pretty shitty. Um, Correct. Gives away his kid for no money. At an older age where the kid can remember it. Slightly worse in some ways, but also there was no mother in the picture, so this one's pretty awful. That is true. This is a tough one to watch. Um, Particularly the scene in which we actually see this young man sell his child. Um, For money. For money. Not for free. No, Mm -hmm. But just, money. just to be clear, he's he's when we say he sells the child, we literally mean he sells the child and gets money. He goes, here's the baby and gets a hand of paper. This is correct. Uh, Real gross. That's right. Uh, a couple things going on here. We have uh, a relationship between young two young people. We don't really get that in the other two films. Um which uh, I think intersects with this plot in certain ways. Um, uh, yeah, probably the least likable character, um, in my opinion, but but still a very interesting one. Um, to me, this is maybe the most thrilling of the three, um, particularly with the like one outright chase sequence that we get. Um, it ends up um, in uh, the river scene. Mm-hmm. Um I thought that was a tightly shot, choreographed scene. Um, I personally found the kid with the bike after she is stabbed with the scissors mm. to be a little bit more um, thrilling, mm. I'd say. But yeah, yeah, the, this that scene in particular did have quite a quite a stir to it. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought this character was a tough one for me to kind of figure out, which is maybe what I kind of liked about this one. I thought this was maybe one of the more challenging ones in a way um, to to understand what it is that that it is motivating all these guy this guy's um, decisions. I thought was Hustling. tough to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it partly feels just instinctive. His, you know, kind of um, moving from one decision to the next to just think about how to make his next dollar. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I don't know. It's, it's tough to watch. What do you think? It is. I I actually really, really, really responded to the female character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that she gave a great, like, effervescent performance. Like, everything that she was feeling was physically tangible. It wasn't, you know, I'm not saying she's Elizabeth Moss here, but it, it's, it's a little bit reminiscent of what you were saying there, where very emotive. Like, the physicality of her posture of the way she's walking of the way that she's swinging her hands or not swinging her hands communicates a lot about her headspace in the film Mm. um because we go from her being in love with this total asshole who sells his kid um and they're dancing and biting each other and driving around and hanging out in the park and it's lovely and a a good old time and you're just kind of worried about her to her you know completely turning around and growing up and god there's this scene where he's groveling to her as she walks up the stairs and he says he says something and and she she said i i wish that i remembered the the exact phrase but she basically says you just don't know it yet like Mm. like that um you don't need me you just don't know it yet um Mm. I think is essentially what she says, which kind of conveys the point that it's not her that he's in love with or needs. It's just anybody who makes him feel the way that she made him feel. But now she doesn't feel that way for him because he sold their child. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's, it's a rough one, but I I really, really responded to her, her performance. And I'd, I'd be very interested to dig in. There's something about just the way that she walked that conveyed to me more than the speech did. Yeah, I kind of kept wanting her to come back into the picture. Mm-hmm. I did not realize going in we were going to be spending so much of the movie with just him. Um, so yeah, that I had no idea what it was even about. Yeah. With um, most foreign films, I'd just go, it's called something I don't understand. It means the kid. Let's go. Dive Charlie in. Chaplin, right? <laughs> also true. Um, yeah, the yeah the the reactions, the expressions between them, like just couldn't be more different between her physically being overwhelmed upon learning that the child has been sold. And oh, that fainting. hysterical break! Oh. Um, yeah, so just rough. just the collapse versus that scene where he sells the child, which I thought was interesting. That's actually the only scene I I rewatched twice because I just was kind of fascinated by that long take where we're waiting with him in the other room as the child is taken. And I was trying to see if I could detect any faint trace of remorse. I still am not quite sure. Um, I don't think it's there. I think to the extent that this is in a way, a love story, a very weird kind of troubled love story. It's just not until 
he comes back to her and tells her and realize that, realizes that this is going to cost him his relationship with her that he doubles back. It is That is not like the moral pivot for me where he realizes he's yeah. made a mistake. It's to, that he's going to lose her. To me, it's a double one-sided love story where like he was in love with her for a totally independent, selfish reason that she fulfilled. And she was in love with him for um, a totally selfish but m- more earnest reason, we'll say. Um, because she, you know, was able to ignore all the broken parts of him, like the part where she gave birth to the child alone and Mm. then brought the child to him and he disregarded it. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, to me, they were both loving the other one in the way that they saw themselves, but they didn't actually ever love each other, which is why, Mm. why it's got that tangible interest. Oh, that's interesting. I I thought that the ending like solidified how much they do truly care about each other. And that's like what underlined how important it was that he made that decision to finally um, carry out an act of selflessness because this one is, again, going to cost him his relationship because he's going to be in jail. And turn Um, himself in. Yeah, to me that very much felt like deep, deep affection for each other in that final scene. Yeah, I don't know what to do with that final scene, to be honest. I don't read it as forgiveness. Oh, I would not say forgiveness, no. Um, I, I think that they both felt really true things that that they had, mm. but I never got the sense that they were on the same page when they were in love in, in the film, mm. you know? like um, There's never really a good times, even though there are some joyful moments. Yeah, the, the dancing and the biting, like, it just... Yeah, that that ending is interesting. I don't quite know how to classify it, but I would say that all things are not forgiven. And he's, I to me, it was like her making an effort to say, you did the right thing. I'm going to see if you can be a part of this kid's life. Not like mm. I'm going to take you back and we're going to get married. Oh, yeah. I assumed that the relationship was over because he's in jail. Yeah. Um, but that it just further demonstrated just the, the the physical interaction just the the raw emotion of it suggested that this was a real relationship mm-hmm. um that this this selfless act the only one he finally comes around to doing you know that that was the cost with which it came yeah um, and then she does one of the most touching things in the entire film which is offers to get him a coffee who knew that mm. that could be such a a bleeding heart moment for I wouldn't an audience. get that guy coffee. Yeah, but she she would. Um, I did notice um, while we were talking here, um, I, I was thinking about some of the scenes that they both share in the apartment um, and how expertly they used the sink there. Um, and they also used the sink previously in The Promise, I thought pretty strongly mm. while he's taking the shower. I, I think that it might be interesting to see how the Dardens use water and also, mm. like, natural bodies of water versus, like, physical bodies uh, or physical streams of water that they're mm. manufactured, like sinks and showers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a recurring motif. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe one of the more narratively critical moments to me, which I, I still maybe find ambiguous, is when he is... Uh, being interrogated by the cops and he's telling them that he didn't actually sell it. He just told her that to uh, upset her because Mm -hmm. she had cheated on him. That part was perhaps ambiguous. 
Um, I'll be curious to know if you agree or not, but also that he says that it wasn't his child, that this was somebody else's child. Um, which, if you believe him when he says, we know that some of what he's saying there is a lie to save his own skin. But if you believe that, that changes your whole perspective then on why he might have less remorse than you would otherwise think in doing what he did. Not that it's in any way more excusable, but I think that changes your perspective if that really did happen. Um, Or is he completely untrustworthy? Is it complete bullshit? Did you you instinctively go one way or the other? Let me bring you a fourth dimension. We watched this on Criterion. Mm Mm-hmm. When they talked, there weren't always subtitles. I don't know if you picked Mm. up on that, but there weren't always subtitles when they were talking. There would be subtitles at the end that would give us like a summation, but I'm pretty sure we didn't get a word for word translation on this one. Mm. I might be wrong, but it seemed like there wasn't enough written words in the subtitles to equal what I was hearing come out of the mouths. Mm. So there might be a subtext missing to us where that stuff is true Mm. um it still isn't forgivable oh yeah but it definitely (laughs) changes the math i was not on board for that perspective at all i read it completely as he knows exactly how to manipulate the cops and tell them a a domestic disturbance story that they've heard a thousand times which is that yeah Mm. i'm dating this girl yeah she has a kid it's not mine she's just trying to get me in trouble because she's tired of me and we got in a fight and she wanted to win and yeah yeah it's just that like because of how untrustworthy he is at the same time you could almost use that as evidence to suggest he might actually do something like that that he might be the kind of person to be so bitter that he would maybe do that um oh but the kid was definitely sold he got the cash yeah yeah but i mean was there any part of him, unconscious or not, if the kid wasn't his, that would have been actually doing this to, um, uh... In spite? In maliciousness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With this know. character, so- <laughs> I don't know, because he's, he doesn't seem conniving to that level, I, mm-hmm. I guess. Like, I just don't see him as a mastermind villain, but I'm not going to yeah. write off that interpretation. Yeah. I don't know that that's really where I'm coming down because then I think that under I think that would undercut the interpretation that he is unemployed and most of what he does is motivated by need mm-hmm. um, that it's more an, an instinct to um, make money where you can make money um, and then yeah it would then become um, a little bit more about the the emotion between them and, and spite and i think that's maybe a little less interesting but that did cross my mind i'm like is this maybe not his kid because that would in part yeah, that explain me to me second, why he's, was like, there's not even a shred of remorse like that would help to explain that a little bit not excuse it or forgive it but explain it perhaps yeah to me he's just a totally self-interested person who doesn't really have external stuff it's all internal mm-hmm. and so when he's behaving externally it's all reflecting an internal agenda is how yeah. i interpreted the entire film so like yeah. that ending where he does that that's just I, I didn't see him as having like a moral growth i saw him as, as trying to preserve whatever he had like like there's definitely a smidge of growth there in that he promised this kid 
But to me, it was more like he was trying to make up for the fact that he totally messed up and sold his own kid um, and trying to like make it so that he could live with himself rather than him actually wanting to do the right thing. More like him not wanting to feel that way again. Yeah, yeah. Like coming from that negative space rather than that positive space, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it arguably is a lot for the film to ask of us to position that as some kind of um moral awakening in the same way that like igor has one because he has been just that much worse the whole time to then suddenly show this selflessness like i i could understand that someone might have to wait is his name igor in this too no no no, sorry igor in the promise who i who i think maybe has a has a moral awakening of some Mm -hmm. kind that you could say this ends on a similar kind of note with a person deciding to do the quote unquote right thing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I well, think, think Igor's Igor is eager right to, easier to follow. Lot. I think Igor yeah. did the right thing a lot starting from when he made the promise. And that's why like his, his arc is probably the easier to digest. Yes. Because this, he does a lot of bad stuff before he finally does something good. And whether or not you really believe that that transformation or if you would even call it that that's a generous word i think is you know i could see people struggling with that i just hope sonya didn't yeah i don't know favorite scene i don't know i i I did like the chase sequence uh because i you know i just don't normally see that kind of thing in a in a movie that's so devoted to realism like this and it just it really does just feel that real when they're slipping into the water and that kid's freaking out about how cold he is. That just feels so real, like it's unfolding in real time, more like documentary or something. I thought that was awesome. Um, what about you? Good question. Turning it back <laughs> around on me, huh? Um, I think I got to go with a boring one, and um, I'm going to cheat as well. I'm going to say two, both in the same location at different times the use of that french kitchenette and sink Mm. by sonia um the first time when jimmy comes up um when she first has jimmy and um gosh whatever his name is in this film comes up with her um to Mm. the apartment and she is um using the sink for something reloading some stuff in the sink um and just like the love the the delicacy the timing the care that she has versus the visceral anger she has when she's in the kitchen cooking later in the film where she's cutting the tomato and um stirring the pot um before she kicks him out mm. um i i just like the the casuality but also the the expert camera placement of that handheld camera in those scenes and how they juxtaposed each other i i really that's the stuff that sticks with me the most about this one yeah it's good stuff on to the kid with the bike c'est Cyril je voudrais rentrer chez mon père Cyril Katoum mon père habite au 5e il habite pas ici il est parti mais il y a son nom sur la sonnette ton père n'habite plus là il est parti faut que tu acceptes je pourrais venir chez vous les week-ends and no helmet. Yeah, he, he he needs to put on a helmet. That you are completely right about. 
is a problem. The Dardens need Highly to put insane. helmets on all of their people. We didn't talk about it in the child, but there's a scene yeah. where the mother, the father, and the baby are all on a motorcycle, and none Wait. of them are wearing helmets. And I remember, it's yeah. Also in the promise, it's a problem. I remember that motorcycle scene, and I was wondering, like, where is she even holding on to the bike right now? It looks like she is just going handless that on this. Better thing. not be a real baby. I was impressed and terrified. But yes. The kid with the bike. From 2011. Sounds like this is your favorite of the three. Yeah. This, Easily, is, huh? this is a favorite uh, classic discovery so far. Mm. It's up there with like three others that we've done for the show this year. Mm. Yeah. I'd put it up there with like the naked kiss. Yeah. Uh, the first of the three that you watched, this was the th- third one that I watched. Um, so by the time I got to this one and was still getting more of the same kind of cinematography. I think my appreciation had only deepened for it. I think I maybe had the opposite reaction that you did. Where you well, got a little I started tired of it. with this where I was mm. like thrilled and I had the most recent developed mature Darden cinematography. And then I went yeah. backwards in their growth and I enjoyed the difference between it and the promise, but the infant with this subtext of the infant did mm. not. Uh, or Lanfont did not win me over quite. Yeah, I think by the time I got to this one, I came to just appreciate it as their distinctive authorial stamp in the same way that Malik has his uh, Lubetsky-esque camera movement. Um, I kind of just appreciate, like, that is kind of, you know, um, the mark of an auteur in a way is that you can identify their style. I think I only came to kind of like that more and see than how they... Um, move their narratives um, in different ways while the style is remains identifiable. Um, but that's true yeah. of this one. I, I thought this one was just great from top to bottom. I think that the other ones suffer a little bit from lingering with performers that aren't, I, I would say at the caliber of the performers that I saw in the kid mm. with a bike. Um, I don't think that anyone in any mm. of these films is a bad performer. But the kid with the bike has, for me, the best performances from every actor across the board that all these three films have. Yeah, I would agree. Um, If there was any reservation I maybe had about The Promise, it was about Igor and his relationship with that, um, with with, um, Hamadou's wife, I forget her Mm -hmm. name. Yeah, I I don't know that the, the acting ever brought that chemistry fully to life for me in the way that, um the acting between the hairdresser and the young boy and the kid with the bike did. Yes. Um, but is, there's yeah. totally different scenes to chew on there. And yeah. you know, that yeah. first emotional breakdown where she's just a random girl that he hugs mm-hmm. um, in the apartment building when he's looking for his bike. Um, so that he doesn't have to have to leave cause he's holding on to her, uh, you know, mm-hmm. as a way to, to stay in a world that he knows. And then the way that that, single scene continues to metaphorically play out as she tries to help him stay in a world that he can understand um, yeah. and provide that gravitational pull to show him reality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is uh, not hard in the same way that the child was, but um, just kind of emotionally painful, particularly the first 30 minutes where you're just watching this kid refuse to believe that his dad has given him up and going around to these, you know, locations you can imagine he's well, no, been he's to his dad with, with. But his dad would never 
sell mm-hmm. his bike. Absolutely not. Um, it 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 builds to a pretty crushing moment when that when that is delivered. And again, it's one of those scenes that um, you know is just just played naturally and realistically, but it's um, all the more crushing kind of because of that. Um, I thought that was very nicely handled when he does have to learn from his dad face to face that that he's done with them. That's it's a hard scene. Well, the the way that they get in the car and exit and he's in such a good mood, he's eating the chips that his dad gave him and he's talking about how um, his dad might call him next Saturday. And then she asks, what did your dad tell you exactly? And he, he says um, that he would call me next Saturday. Um, I gave him my phone number and she goes, no, get out of the car. Mm-hmm. And then makes him do that. It's she's the thing creating reality and allowing him to actually be told the truth, which is something that this boy hadn't previously had. So of course, all he could do was act out. He never heard anything that was real. So he didn't know how to orient himself. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's, it's really, really strong and really lovely. I, I just dig this narrative. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There were things that it just didn't go into at all that sort of just spurred my thinking in ways that I enjoyed. Like, I could have just missed it, but I don't think there's any ever mention of, of his mother and and whether or not his mother was in the picture, what happened to her, whether she left or what. Um, Um, Someone says your mother and and he basically says no. Yeah. It's very brief. And um, I don't know. It just led me to think, you know, uh, about how he might um, approach a, a relationship with a woman who might be coming to fill that role versus someone who, like the drug dealer is sort of faking a kind of brother protector guardian kind of role. Um, you know, it, it, it leaves, um, a little something to the imagination just because we don't know that much about this backstory. Um, which I think is very nice because this is a very plot centric movie, but there is, you know, room for your, your mind to wander a bit. I guess. Yeah. But the, I, I would say the expertise of the naturalistic formalism here makes up for the fact that it's all plot. So it doesn't mm. visually feel like it's all plot. You yeah, know, if, yeah. if these were steady cam shots with slow pans and zooms, mm-hmm. um, it would probably play a lot differently for me. But because it's shot in that handheld way, it feels more like a like just a matter of fact thing where this is just the snippets of the life that I'm seeing. Mm. So while it is plot heavy, it doesn't feel plot oriented. It feels um, character oriented towards these specific characters. And it just so happens that they're going through a plot. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Yeah. You mentioned Sean Baker already. Asghar Farhadi was one director who came to mind when Mm. I was watching this one and some of the others because of how the Dardens are, interested in plot but mainly just in so far as they want to bring some suspense and anticipation into their dramas and they're they're interested in morality and people having to make tough moral choices um but i think for me asgar farhadi sometimes can feel like it is it is too obviously kind of mechanic to get to those points that he's trying to make mm-hmm. or to put these people in these positions and i it's almost kind of like a not a miracle, but it, it is like impressive that this narrative works as well as it does, because it does depend on 
coincidence. Um, yes, it does. The kid showing up to the drug deal and the guy being with his dad and then him going to the gas station and them being there again and then him falling from the tree. But like, I think that's exactly right. It's just because it's played so realistically that your attention isn't really drawn to it. It just feels um, like it is action unfolding um, organically, kind of inevitably, um, which is great. It, it's very, very smooth and just kind of instantly believable. Yeah, I, I think that one thing I try to pinpoint is I, I don't love Sean Baker nearly as much as you. And when I specifically mentioned Sean Baker in my review, I more than anything meant his eye for how to shoot something. For me, Sean Baker, and I don't mean this in any sense of disrespect, he's the type of guy where I watch his movie and I'm like, that accidentally looks like one of the most gorgeous things I've ever seen. Hmm. In the most complimentary way possible, I mean that. Like, it doesn't feel pre-planned. It just seems like the way that it's shot accidentally makes whatever I'm seeing absolutely beautiful. And Mm. that's kind of the sense that I got watching this film, where there's just random stuff that shouldn't be pretty or enticing or lovely or jubilant or or deeply meaningful. And it just ends up being that way. The way that they Mm. shoot him outside of a window looking at his dad or the way that they shoot him scurrying up a wall to try to look down to see Mm. the trash bins um, Mm. or the driveways or just the way that he's riding side by side um, and they're doing like a sidewalk pan shot while he's riding his bike. It seems effortless at Mm. some level um, and the mastery to get there is so high. Yeah. Um, Yeah, for me, maybe, you know, I always have to like caveat when I talk about Sean Baker because I've only seen Tangerine and... Florida Project, where I've now seen five Darden movies, but um, I would maybe I would probably relate it more to like Tangerine than the Florida Project. So when I think <laughs> about the Florida Project, I think about like those montages of all these brilliantly colorful buildings. Those feel very deliberately composed to me to yeah. show the brightness of this world that is otherwise um, a very hard one for these people living. Where at I, sometimes that doesn't feel quite as like naturalistic to me. Um, and it's more about like maybe the the milieu that the Darden ends and John Baker is interested in. Um, but the the rundown house, right? Like that's one of the most mm-hmm. beautiful things in the Florida Project. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just yeah. To me, it's the effortlessness of the way that it's shot. Um, the ending montage where the girls are running around. As mm-hmm. much as that's craftsmanship, it, it's also intuitive because there's yeah. no way you yeah. can exactly predict what those girls are going to do while you're shooting. Um, and, and I would definitely point towards Tangerine where it's just making streets and sidewalks and alleyways look sumptuous. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we both like Sean Baker. We do (laughs) very much so. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think the final scene here is, is an interesting one. Um, I'll be curious to know how you, sort of read this final scene spoiler alert our little boy falls from a high place similar to Hamadou's wife in the promise but it's yes. okay is knocked down from a great height yeah. by a rock yeah yeah um so to me all of these movies you know ex- uh, explore people in difficult positions but ultimately end on a quite optimistic or hopeful note yes um, and i found that to be the case here but there are these like moments where 
I think people are, are shown to be doing what might be seen as compassionate or rightfully so compassionate or kind or thoughtful things, but it's almost like they're doing it kind of unconsciously. Um, like, I don't know. I, I, I think about Cyril getting up and, um, going on about his life as he does after this fall Mm -hmm. because he understands what it is like to to see um to want to protect your father to be angered by someone having come after your father Mm -hmm. um but you don't really see him processing that in that moment it is just instinct that he gets up and he walks away to me there is something very very moving about this maybe suggestion that there is just this kind of innate goodness in people that just kind of can kick in sometimes um when circumstances bring it about because you don't see him like making a decision really he just gets up and walks away mm-hmm. but i'm moved by you know what i think it implies about what's maybe going through his mind mm. yeah i didn't interpret the scene in that way at all i i interpreted it more as this is still pitbull um, mm. And he just changed what he's a pit bull about. Um, I mean, if he stole his bike, he'd probably still be that version of pit bull um, at some level. But to me, it was that respecting and honoring this relationship that he's built with Cecil de France is his priority. And he said he would bring the charcoal and he hurt these boys and hit them in the head. And they did the same to him. Um, so life goes on he has a barbecue to get to um i didn't i i didn't even see the the moral lines that normally indicate like a moral choice there in a film it was more just like a matter of fact thing kind of like their cinematography being beautiful like it just he got up rubbed his head got on his bike put the charcoal in his in one hand and then only had handlebars with one hand and got the the bike going. And I was like, damn, you're good at riding a bike. Uh, Mm. And he had a barbecue to get to. um, And he had a friend to try to develop. And he already had made the wrong choices all the time. He never made a wrong choice when he was doing what she wanted. To me, it's more about um, the people that nurture you and trying to honor your obligations rather than seen a moral growth from him but i might be wrong yeah i just didn't um, pick that yeah maybe not um what i call it moral growth um i don't know maybe it just had to do with this the the, the detail we also get with cyril wanting to bring the money back to his to his dad and, and that maybe not necessarily being about hoping that that means he'll get to go back to his dad but it's about um giving back to his dad trying to help his dad in some way trying to um just that that instinct because he cares about his dad so much to do something for him and then the the detail we get of this this other father-son relationship seems like it just has to inform or relate in some way you know to Cyril's narrative yes um yeah to me it was you know kind of showing the you're better off without because the the dad was pulling a Roger right yeah 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 essentially they were how are we going to get away with this murder um and i i felt like we'd seen him serial develop too much to ever be that type of person again 
mm. just that simple bike ride with the sandwiches. I I don't know. I I I saw him do a complete character um, growth between turning himself in, much like in the child, and then going on and you know acting mature, but also respectful with Cecil de France. Like, oh, we're having a barbecue for me and my friends are you going to have any friends come over? And mm-hmm. the the way that they both have that, that laugh while they're eating those sandwiches, it's just it, it, that to me signaled this new chapter. Yeah. I, I would definitely see it as a new chapter um, for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I think I'm, I'm pretty even on all these movies. Um, I don't know that I have an obvious favorite. I just have things that I, really like a few things that I dislike here and there. I would say the one thing that I maybe didn't care for quite so much was the one scene where we see Samantha, the hairdresser with the boyfriend in the car and he gives her the ultimatum. I would say that's probably the closest thing to a cliche that they come in some of these movies. Um, That didn't, that felt a little out of place to me just to throw that out there, but pretty high on this. I, I don't know. I, I liked it. To be honest, it was the slice of melodrama that I can go for because it's building up this support character who's also a secondary main character. Um, and it had enough tangible film time to be a thing where like all he's ever done is complain. Um, and then I think that they were coming off of the day before or the weekend before when he ran away and did the Ferris or the the fair ride by himself instead of mm-hmm. riding with that guy so like the guy was emotionally hurt and sensitive and then he presented her with the ultimatum and we got to see you know the the way that she went with that but then when the one Cyril stabs her with the scissors to me that made it hurt more because not only had she given up a relationship with a guy oh, yeah. who sucks the kid that she gave it up for just stabbed her to get away yeah. from her and go commit a crime with the one person that she's the only person that she's asked him not to hang out with essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, yeah. His, his susceptibility to that guy versus his, you know, somewhat resistance to her. I just, I just struck me as interesting. I still don't quite know what to make of that except for just what it makes me wonder about how he related to his mom versus his dad. Searching for um, paternalism, I think. Yeah, but why? Um, like, I, I think, I think it's maybe because he was fathers. probably m- perhaps closer with his dad because his dad was maybe around longer. Maybe there was even a deeper resentment for, mm. I'm making things up now because we don't know, but because the mother has, has been a, has been gone for even longer, that there might be more resentment there. Um, and that his dad is kind of the one and only. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so there might just be a an inclination to have... A, a father figure or something. I don't know. It just struck me as interesting because it's pretty immediate that he takes up with this guy. Yeah. And maybe it's just that PlayStation is cool. But yeah. I think that one thing I would say is that her, she presents, at least in the film, to me as someone who's unconditional in the love for him and the forgiveness for him. And I think that that might make him insecure because he's never had that before. So he wanted something more conditional and paternal that he was used to. That's the way I read it. Yeah. Yeah. Or even 
worse is that he's just that much more manipulative, <laughs> which I think <laughs> is part of it. Um, yeah, definitely a factor. Um, but uh, hadn't talked about music at all. The only one of the three that actually has some non-diegetic music. I really thought about, like, is there a reason I could really point to for why they might have done it here versus the other ones? I got nothing, to be honest, except that to say I liked it just fine. I thought, you know, I, I could have just as easily said that the other two are so great because they don't have music. When it showed up here, I was good with it, too. So... Any thoughts? This is my favorite one. Um, I won't say it's because of the soundtrack, but I will definitely say that the soundtrack is assistive when one is um, not naturally able to speak that language. It's definitely informative Mm. of the beats of the narrative and the tone in a way that is extremely informative. So I, I, I do think that it provided me with assistance and allowed me to keep track um, so that I looked at the subtitles less, was less concerned with reading every single word and more concerned with trying to see the depth in every frame and the edits and, and how they were cutting and that type of stuff. Yeah. As long as it's lovely music, I think I'm okay with it. And it's used pretty sparingly in just, yes, in just you know, important moments. Um, so I was on board with it. Uh that is the Dardenne Brothers and the Invisible Man. And that is another episode in the can. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant. You're the best and we love you! The Dardennes.